0: Parenting is Political is only made possible because of listeners like you. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can go to our website, parentingispolitical.org, and become a monthly subscriber. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook and check out our Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to Parenting is Political. This is Mo, and this week we're going to be joined by Brent Allman, who is the creator behind the blog Designer Daddy which is a blog about parenting, pop culture, and politics. And we're going to be interviewing Brent because of some discoveries we made in Episode 3. So if you haven't listened to Episode 3, you might want to give this one a pause, go back and listen to it, and then come back to this episode because you're not going to want to miss the interview that we have with Brent. And in the show notes, we'll let you know where you can follow um, Brent on social media and how to get connected with him. But that's all I have to say in this intro, so we're going to jump right into the interview. I am with Brent Allman today. Say hey, Brent. Hey, how's it going? Good. And we are also joined by August, as always, our four-month-old baby. So there will be baby noises in the background. Um, but we would like to start off um, the interview by just asking what, how you identify with your pronouns.
1: Um, he...
0: He, okay yep, yep. great how did you and your partner meet
1: okay. um, my husband's name is Nick um, and we met um, on AOL I tell, I tell the kid that's back when you had to crank up the internet um, and uh, but it was kind of indirectly through a friend it wasn't in a chat room that matters but um. <laughs>
2: it, does, it does matter chat rooms are very important they are they're <laughs> important
1: Um and uh yeah, that that's how we met and um I had I could I had come out probably just a little over a year prior to that and had had one serious relationship and been dating and kind of finding my way. Um Mm -hmm. but um yeah, we started dating about over a little over twenty years ago and um we had a commitment ceremony in two thousand and
3: three.
1: Um and then we got legally married 2015, whatever became
3: a in Maryland. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's how we met. And, and he's a, a he's a he's
0: a he's a um, New York Italian kid from the Bronx. Nice.
2: And are
1: very different backgrounds. I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist preacher's kid.
2: Ooh, what from Arkansas?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Both where, my parents were born and raised there.
2: Where in Arkansas?
1: Uh, my dad was born in Little Rock, and then his parents lived in Malvern for a long time. That's a while. Uh, or, or Jones Mill, if you've heard of Jones Oh, Mill, yeah, that's... we know oh, We know where that is. My God, that's a total home wall.
0: How did you, and you said Nick is your husband's name? Yes. Yeah. How did you guys decide to get yeah. married? And, like, what went, in, what went into that decision process as, you know, a gay family mm-hmm. deciding to be married? Um, there's some politics around that. Um, right. and kind of right. what, what went into y'all's decision making to decide no this is definitely something we want to do um, outside of like your commitment ceremony that y'all had you decided to go ahead and like legally get married whenever it became legal
1: yeah I mean um, and we, and we, toyed, we, cause we had, we've had some friends that were like
3: oh, we don't want to get married or we're just going to go to the courthouse um, right. but we decided to have a second you know party (laughs) like an actual wedding wedding
1: um and you know part of the reason it had had to do a lot with family I mean we we did know as soon as they made it legal in Maryland we were going to get legally married okay Uh, and you know some of it was for the legal aspects of it but uh, we had already gotten a lot of that stuff in place through an attorney um you know the financial and medical directors and stuff right um but it was, you know, it was, we thought, this well, if we have legal, we're going we're gonna to take advantage of that. You know, it's all right. We want it. <laughs> um, and but then we decided to have um, a, re- a regular ceremony because we had our son at that point okay. and we wanted him to be in the ceremony. And um, I had a younger brother who, when we had a commitment ceremony, he was he was struggling with his own identity and mm-hmm. didn't want to come. Uh, he had since come out and so he came and he sang he's an opera singer for his and my dad actually performed the ceremony
0: what
1: yeah that was flat that was twist a, that was a huge thing <laughs> um his only his only uh caveat was he said I couldn't blog about it <laughs> <laughs> um, cause he was he was already working in the private sector like in a uh, regular church Boy. and I think at the time there was something in the news about a minister who had gotten Voted out of his church because he had married his, his daughter and her wife, um, real. and he was a little spooked by some of that. And um, I was like, well you know, I can live with that for sure. So, yeah. And 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 Nick's so next family that hadn't been able to come before we were able to come. So it was it was a lot of reasons. That was a lot of reasons why we did it. Yeah. Um, and it's been nice to go back and show my son pictures of him.
3: At our wedding, and he remembers certain things, and it's just nice. We may able to say, "Hey, it's lucky that you got to be in your parents' wedding. Most of your friends didn't," you
0: know. Yeah, for <laughs> um, real.
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was it was really you know to celebrate the legal aspect of it for sure, but also just to include uh, our family and really, to, it helped us. I think it helped our son to to have that kind of family milestone of my family got married. Yeah. And, everybody
0: was there to support us except for, you know, a couple of assholes. Yeah, so that's kind of a great segue into talking about, you mentioned you have a son, you have a kid, um, and that, you know, in and of itself is political, um, just having a child as a gay couple. Um, But I kind of want to hear, like, what your process was with your partner to decide to go ahead and have a kid together.
1: Um... You know, we, we talked about wanting to have kids early on in our relationship, um, and thinking back to that time, back in the late 90s, um, marriage wasn't even really being talked about. Yeah. Um, it was before it became kind of a you know, thing that HRC was focusing on, whatever. Um, right. But, uh, but people, were, you know, people were having kids. All the lesbians were having kids to lesbians, um, and um,
0: those lesbians.
1: Yeah, trailblazers. So we, you know, we wanted to, um, yeah, we wanted to have kids because we both grown up with siblings and lots of cousins and just wanted right. to, wanted to do that. Um, and it, it took us a while. I mean, like career stuff happened, and, um, and I think we got to a point where, um, we knew it was time, and. I think we, you know, we toyed with the idea of surrogacy for maybe a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I joked he, he has a lesbian sister, so maybe we'll get her egg and my sperm, and you know, um, but but the, you oh, know, ass. I think we just thought there's already plenty of kids need parents, and yeah, you know, um, so we went with adoption, and, and we, I think we also thought about international adoption for a second, but at that time too. Like a lot of the laws are changing, it's become really difficult overseas, and um, so we tried with we worked with a local agency um, that was really uh, queer friendly and worked a lot of same sex queer couples, and um, and it, that's where we did our home study and all of our training, and then we got paired um, with a birth mother. It was kind of early in her pregnancy, and so we went to several doctors' visits, and the baby was born, and. Um, he was in the NICU for about a week and then the mom changed her mind um, like the day before the baby was supposed to come home Mm. Um, and uh, because I think I think you know I think what happened was when she apparently you know when when moms decide earlier there's a higher risk for them to change their mind because sometimes they make the decision before knowing what kind of support they have and I think she I think she was you know I think she her boyfriend's parents kind of helped her change her mind or whatever so it was devastating we had to mourn that for a while and um, Mm -hmm. and the waiting the waiting the pool the waiting pool at this agency was huge Um,
3: so we decided to try with a private agency in Portland, Oregon Mm -hmm. and got got paired again and that's when we met John's birth parents and then he was born a month early and we got we got it. We got
1: there the night after the day he was born, and they put us in a room together in the hospital, and you
0: know that must have been it must have been such a beautiful moment for y'all. Yeah, especially it was after that, you know, having to mourn the loss of what you thought was going to be your kiddo, and then yeah. y'all finally got got your kid. That's awesome. That's yeah. What a beautiful
2: yeah. moment you all must have had. Well, I wanted I oh. wanted to interrupt and ask. Um, okay. If you get the if you get the question that we get, which is which one of you is the mom? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. get the which one of you is the dad?
1: Uh, well, actually, we get. It's funny. We this is kind of kind of related, but when we were still dating, my apartment was across the street from an elementary school. Oh. And if he stayed at my house, like I'd walk him out and kiss him by, and he walked to work. <laughs> uh, one morning, the kids were out across the street behind the fence, and they, one of them started yelling, "Who's the lady? Who's the lady?" And I paused this for a second. I said, it depends. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: with What? When we when we get that question, you know, I'm, you know me well after all these years of being connected in the online space and I have no chill. So when they say, which one of you is the dad? I say, well, actually, we don't know who he is. It was a gang bang. <laughs> um,
0: which only begets awkward responses. Oh, yeah, they just, they're like,
2: just clutching pearls and stammering, and oh my God, and I'm just like, don't ask those questions to people in the future. <laughs> Thanks so much for that.
0: <laughs> it's not a big experience for you, sorry.
2: Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, people have asked us that, and um, it's been a while, but
1: generally what I say is it's it's you know, it's, it's kind of nice because... <laughs> We don't have the hang ups of who's supposed to do what. Um, you know, I think because of because because of our occupations and how it worked out, I do more of the caregiving and in some ways I'm more of a nurturing person, but you know, I have nothing against mothers but I'm I'm not a mother. You know, we're both fathers. Absolutely. Uh, but we also do all the same stuff other than, you know, we don't have the babies or breastfeed but we, you know, we nurture we care give, we Mm -hmm. correct all that kind
0: of stuff, so
2: Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that there are fathers who chest feed uh, because not all fathers are cisgender folks and that nurturing um, is not confined to the binary but because of the way the nuclear family works Uh, lots of folks tend to ascribe that, right? They think Oh, you know, this kid has two dads, doesn't have any mom. That's, that's kid, that kid's going to grow up dysfunctional because there's no, there's no mother love um, present. So I'm curious, um, and Mo and I were talking a little bit about this, how, because, because Mo um, identifies as a parent, not a mother, uh, you know, as a result of their gender identity. And oftentimes folks will do the, you know, your your kid is missing so much because they don't have a father or your kid is missing so much for, like, cis gay couples who are raising kids together because you don't have a mother. How do you push back against that? Or how do you support your kid whenever those kind of conversations arise?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because John, John's my son. He's about to turn nine. He, he's, it's never really bugged him. He's very matter-of-fact, as kids can be. And if you if you were asked him today, he would say, well, I have two parents, but I have four dads and a mom. Yeah. A, you know, he knows his birth father and birth mother, and the birth mother um, has had another child with another man. Um, and he's got two, so he's got two brothers. Um, so to him, it's just like kind of this big, fun adventure that he's proud to tell people about. Um, and at this age, they... Everybody seems to be like, "Oh, okay." Like they don't, they've never heard of it, but they're not teasing him hardcore about it. Right. Uh, so he seems to have gotten, you know, I think a lot of his personality, but also just what we've, you know, we try to celebrate and show him the positive and, um, and you know, kind of inform him. He knows there's negative out there. You know, he knows mm-hmm. about that it, it wasn't legal before a few years ago,
3: and he knows about like that but um, in terms of people pushing back I mean it's it doesn't it's, it doesn't happen a lot in real life um, I think the, you know there's questions from relatives at the beginning um, and I think Nick had a lot more of that in his family than I did but it's just kind of presenting ourselves as if
1: we're a family and you know he's loved and
3: that's
1: all there is to it. You can like it or leave it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you're raising a really resilient kid. That's incredible. It's not an easy task to raise a child who's assertive and uh, self-determined enough to answer those kind of questions and push back. Yeah, the, there was a, a really cool thing that happened just last week. He, um,
1: Nick had gone to a um, uh, Washington Nationals game and brought home, I was like on, I guess it was on, gay day or pride day or whatever and he came home and, and gave John a shirt it's like a Washington National logo but it's rainbow color and John's been dressing himself
3: you know this year in third grade he decided he's going to pick out his clothes um,
1: and so he wore that school and I guess an older kid asked him after school it's like why are you wearing that gay shirt <laughs> um,
0: and, or did you know that shirt's gay and he goes yeah
1: he's like why are you wearing it and he told him he said Well, because my parents are gay, and so am I. Um, And because he came up and told me, like, he was just telling me something about his day, and I said, oh, and I'm gay. I'm like,
0: oh, really? No. (laughs) (laughs) And,
1: uh, you know, I don't, I obviously wouldn't have a problem with it. I don't, I don't think he's there yet to make that decision, but I think he's, it was sweet to see him kind of identifying with us and wanting to connect with us. Yeah. Like, in the same way that he says that he's half Italian because Nick is Italian. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he... Yeah, it was just super sweet, and, and I, I'm glad that he's there to kind of educate these other kids, you
3: know?
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. What a wonderful little soul you have. So, uh, speaking of hard conversations with kids, this whole Kavanaugh confirmation bullshit has really... <laughs> Um, impacted a lot of folks. August is protesting the name Kavanaugh being spoken in the house. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you've talked to your kiddo about gender and consent and just that conversation. Um, You know, because a lot of the, the... popular rhetoric is you know mothers raise better sons as if you know men don't know how to raise sons who understand consent and aren't rapists um, and you know often queer dad couples get erased in those conversations which I'm not inclined you know to weep for cis men in particular but also it's important for us to like, bring everyone who wants to be in this conversation about justice and a consent into the conversation and allow everyone to have space and resources. So we were sort of curious, how, how do you have those conversations um, with the reality that in a lot of ways, um, our society teaches that consent is modeled through a man and a woman being married and, and, and a child seeing how a man treats a woman. Um, how, how do y'all work that out?
1: Um yeah, I I was gonna say too that I don't um uh, sometimes I feel erased but I also sometimes feel like we get a pass that we shouldn't get.
2: Oh, that is a great <laughs> yeah. point.
1: Core you know, dads, we're you know, we're we're um what's the right word? Um we're not a threat, you know, to women.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. mm. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and we shouldn't, because I can still be just as if not physically, certainly
2: with my words and actions can still be an asshole misogynist. Yeah, and you can raise children that are complicit in uh, gender-based violence and racial violence and everything else. So, yeah, you have as much of a responsibility as the rest of society for sure, but I see that. I see the past that you get. Thanks for calling that out.
1: Um, I think I think with, with John, he's had, he's had to learn about consent from an early age because he's a big hugger. <laughs> and uh, So we had to tell him you know we had to talk to him early on like
3: not everybody wants to be hugged and Mm -hmm. you always have to ask and
1: um, you know because we and and we've gotten you know we've had to have conversations with different parents some that are thankful that he's physical because they have a son or a daughter who has been trying to learn to be more physical and others who are like you know he has to back off so
3: um,
1: that's about as that's about as far as we've gotten with conversations about Consent, just kind of Mm -hmm. general personal space. Um, But yeah, he he actually got
3: invited over. He he has a couple of uh, really good girlfriends, and he got invited to a a sleepover at a friend's house last year
1: for her birthday. He was the only boy that was invited. Um, The mom mom was super cool about it. Um, There was another kid's mom who wasn't, Mm. um, and the mom... That, that mom decided that she just wasn't going to let her kid go um, and I was I, there was definitely an inclination on my part to like kind of oh well maybe we shouldn't go but I I kind of let the daughter the daughter's birthday was let that mom be the one who was in charge of this um, and didn't try to make it work for for us whatever but yeah um, yeah we talked about you know it, it was it was a difficult balance for me to want to say Oh well, if you if you change clothes or go to the bathroom, make sure you close the door because you know girls don't want to see that or blah blah blah. I want to say that I just said made it
3: people. You know, yeah. Be private, It'd be, um, keep things private and um, and you know if people if people don't want to
1: hear about fart and penis jokes, then don't make them. You know,
3: <laughs> <laughs> let
1: the you know I want to say let let her. Do the lead, uh, you know, but take the lead, but, um, and you know, it went off without a hitch, and it was interesting, what, because I remember posting about that on, um, on Facebook, on my on my blog Facebook page, like, what would what would other people do, and you know, got the whole range of, you know, from, oh my God, I'd never do that, to, mm-hmm. uh, I'd let my sixteen cool. year olds sleep over, you know, whatever, yeah, uh, so.
2: And I think there's a layer to that conversation that folks don't recognize the ways in which they, they hyper-sexualize young children. Right, right, right. You know, like, they're not even at the place at that age where they're interested in, like, intercourse or any kind of sexual interaction outside of just developmental play and exploration. But people automatically uh, draw these assumptions about the sex lives of young, young people in the same way um, they do about adults. It's wild,
1: yeah, and I know there's, I know there's other issues involved sometimes too, um, but like if there's been, if there's been abuse or whatever, but the, right, um, yeah, like the, um, I don't know how
3: was I mean, Even back in preschool, there was like a, the nurse, um, she was like, John's pal, and like when that, sometimes whenever we leave, it's like, um, oh there goes my boyfriend, and, uh, and I'm just oh. like. Oh,
1: <laughs> um and you know I know yeah. I know it was like benign but I was I was thinking you know if you were a male gym teacher and said that you know
0: it, you'd fired
1: yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just like just you know
2: yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh we I think that that is a huge part of the conversation around rape culture and Um, the ways that patriarchy particularly like misogyny and sex based violence make their way into our communities is we don't really interrogate things that are so normalized um, that have the layers of sexualization to children's childhoods I mean even just like a onesie that's like I'm a ladies man that people expect you to put on your kid and you're like what are we talking about here? Like what is happening?
1: As a a graphic designer I've always had a huge beef they don't have as much anymore but like back in the 90s I remember all these green cards and prints you could buy of like little kids dressed up like they're in Casablanca like a boy and a girl oh yeah rose and like
3: uh,
2: it's like why why that's cool (laughs) you know if that's what people are into except for it's vile and subtext is lost right people just think because it's popular it's acceptable But then again, maybe I shouldn't be judging anyone because I'm dressing the children up as wild, wild country cult followers for Halloween. (laughs) Have you seen that documentary? Yes, yes. So August is going to be Bagwan, and uh, Addison, Zara, and Tobias are going to be dressed in red, and I'm going to be Sheila.
0: I'm going to be that lawyer that just cries the entire documentary (laughs) and wears sweater vests. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, like honestly... (laughs) Honestly, people are like, how do you survive in Arkansas? And we're like, we don't know. It's hard. And people are like, well, what do you do to sort of blend in? And we're like, dress as cult members. <laughs> oh my God. So we've been connected for some time on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. We did uh, Salon LGBTQ, which was the first queer social media conference together. And we got to hang out. Yeah. You got it.
3: That, was
2: my, that was
1: my first blogging conference. What? Yep. I, I already had tickets I already had tickets to go to DAD 2.0 but that happened. ended up happening before it
2: um, I called up um, what was her name? Deb? Deb, Deb Rocks. Rocks. And because I heard
1: about it I'm like I want to speak
0: at this she was like okay yeah that's awesome yeah. yeah so you and Jasmine have been connected online for quite a while um, so I'm sure that you see that she's very outspoken about <laughs> <laughs> anti-oppression um, specifically as it relates to anti racism work um, and just uh, all of the things that she's been posting about that. As someone who is a part of um, the gay community and gay culture, um, there's been kind of a long history there of, you know, particularly white gay men kind of co opting black culture, um, especially as it relates to like femme energy, black culture, but then also just at the end of the day, tossing black fems and black people towards the side and treating them really poorly. Um, what is kind of your journey as you've been following along with Jasmine in your own life of really like unlearning and unpacking racism and, and within like your own self but also within the culture, um, the queer culture um, because it is so prevalent. Um, do you have um, anything that you would like to say about that? And are you having any sort of conversations with your kiddo about race mm,
3: yeah
1: um again a lot of questions there <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. um yes to all of it um yeah i mean i uh, i have always been drawn to strong women of color um, hey for,
3: yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was before it, like i remember my best friend when i was um
1: in second, I got teased when I was in second grade because my best friend was a little black girl I used to hang out with him on the on the on the um, playground at Washington Elementary in Fayetteville, um, and
2: literally I, where our children used to be. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Oh
1: um, the um, but you know, and and I and I grew up, and then when we my dad joined the military, a lot of the places that we lived. We lived in Japan for a while and we lived, um, you know, like when we were in Georgia and I think even in Texas, a lot of times I was, um, I was not in the majority at my high school. I was a Mm -hmm. minority. Um, and then when I finally went to college, I went to Baylor, um, Mm -hmm. and I was in the majority and I hated it. Um, (laughs) I had really, I felt like I really learned a lot and, and come to, in a small way, um, learn how not to be to assume that I'm always the most <laughs> and the most deserving you know but you know I've had to unlearn a lot of that uh, for sure mm-hmm. from coming out and you know the fact that all of
3: all of the uh, vast majority of the gay icons are, are black women and um, kind of the you know assumption
1: that that we can co so much of you know,
3: like you said, femme traits and people of color and calling each other bitch and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> and uh,
1: yeah, there was a, actually a, a drag queen, um, Tatiana, do you know her? She's was from RuPaul's drag, drag Race. Oh, she, she yeah, was, yeah, yeah. She, she had said something about uh, was that Tony, that that blonde um,
2: newscaster, Tony whatever her name is. She's really a piece of work. She's super conservative. And, Tommy. Tommy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
2: um, Not that her right. name is worth remembering, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, but the, this this drag queen called her a bitch or all this kind of stuff on Instagram, and um, and it
1: kind of brought about this conversation of like, you know, you know, we can't do that. I was, I was like, well, I I don't feel like I can do that. You know, I don't care if she's evil. I can call her evil, but there's certain there's there's other ways to describe someone without you know using abusive language um but yeah I mean I think with like with a lot of gay men I've had to unlearn a lot of stuff like you know don't say tranny, you know
3: yeah <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that kind of thing that the whole you know the whole culture I had to learn and um and
1: I think it just like with anybody it just comes from educating yourself and exposing yourself and you know not taking everything
2: personally. Right, right. So undoing the defensiveness that is sort of inherent in uh, white supremacy culture. Yeah. So do you consider yourself an anti-oppression parent? Like that your parenting style is anti-oppressive?
1: Um, I try to be. Yeah. My son would probably not say that. but <laughs> <laughs> different kind of oppressive, but...
3: Um, you know, you asked about race, um,
1: and you know, like with, you know, we've tried to raise him where he's always has some other kids in his life who are adopted or who have queer parents. Um, and he's also had, almost always had, um, several friends of color, you know, from, it's a pretty diverse area, although, um, you know, not as much as it could be a different parts of town, but the, um, but it, you know, it, takes, it takes some deliberate conversations like mm-hmm. uh, I remember when they were learning about Martin Luther King in school and I had this little kid's book that I read him about, the, about um, Dr. King's life and it was talking about the um, civil rights movement and everything that the black community went through and he was really, I could tell he was really soaking it in I was like what do you think about that? I think he was five or six. Mm -hmm. He said, wow, I'm really glad we're not black.
2: (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) So he got the subtext of a conversation, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, we, you know, I redirected him there. Um, and you know, he prides himself in being someone who stands up to bullies Mm. and, um, but you know, he still has to learn. Like he has a friend who's, um, he has a friend who's mixed race and he, he was trying to, I think he was trying to be, um, empathetic. He said, I know some people don't like you because you're black, but you know, he's another seven or eight year old kid and that hurts feelings. He didn't get, you know, and so I had to talk to him about that. And, um, so it's, you know, it's an ongoing process, but, um, he still seems to have a, have a kind of advocacy heart. You know, try to try to balance that whole thing of like wanting well, to stand up to bullies without being, um, you know, chauvinistic. He doesn't right. really have that. He doesn't really have that attitude about girls. We haven't really taught him that, so I'm, I'm glad about that. It's more just about people in general. So
2: diffusing the white savior complex for young people.
1: Yeah, or the or the male
2: yeah,
0: yeah hero yeah. thing. So for sure. Well, I have one last question for you. Um, just something that we'll ask, um, everybody who is interviewed, but what makes parenting political for you?
1: Um, you know, I had to, I actually had to answer this the other day. Um, um, a friend, uh, I was kind of an acquaintance of mine, a friend of a friend, um, had posted on Facebook what do you say, um, does anyone remember when our political views were private? I miss those days. <laughs> then, like, and, you know, he's, he's straight and white and, um, of course. <laughs> and and he had several people comment like it's none of my business who you voted for, and this one woman said it's literally tearing friends and family apart, and like that's not what's right, tearing them apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then this, and then someone came back and said people are taking this crap way too serious or don't know how to shake your head and walk away.
3: And um, you know I didn't
1: I I don't know him that well I didn't know those other people but I just said those
3: that have to fight for equal and fair treatment can't afford to keep their political views private because mm-hmm. it's not politics, it's life
1: it's not politics, it's life Ooh, um, yes. and that's you know, that's a thing it's, you know yeah. politics is the whole structure and the way it works and the voting and the lobbying and all that bullshit but the issues aren't politics, they're just our lives, you know it's our lives people are fucking with
2: yeah, and you know, it's what's so interesting when folks say that, no one had a problem when identity politics was about the white, hetero, cis man, you know? That that was identity politics for the, uh, the history of our nation, and everyone was okay with it. And mm-hmm. as soon as it stopped centering that identity, it was suddenly like, wow, <laughs> why are we doing this identity politics thing? Why are mm-hmm. we talking about race? And it's like, well, we were. We just weren't using the words. We weren't making it plain. And so now, in a lot of ways, what is um, what was over is now like very public, and uh, or excuse me, no, what was covert is now very over and public, and it makes people uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's kind of like you know, kind of like thinking about in high school. There was one kid that was um, read as very gay, and but that was still back in the day when when people use the words gay and
3: faggot, it was just, I don't think anyone was actually thinking, oh, this person's actually homosexual. It was more just an insult or someone who was femme or whatever. But, right. Um, but, you know, he made it through high school okay. And then I hear about kids
1: now that are, you know, coming out queer in high school or, or coming out trans at a really young age. And, and it's awesome, but it's also... You know, more dangerous. The more the more vocal we are, the more out there we are. Um, it puts us more at risk Absolutely. because we're kind of coming face to face with um, with violence and the oppression that's out there, and them, you know, can't do it anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time today, Brent. I um, it was great talking to you. And if you don't mind, telling our listeners where they can follow you um, on social media.
1: Sure. Um, I'm Designer Daddy. Uh, my blog is designerdaddy.com, and that's my Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter. And I also have a uh, Instagram account, Super Lunch Notes, where I do a superhero note for my son every day. Mm.
2: Yeah, where I get a like complex because I'm like, damn it, if I was better at art, I would do this. This is so cool. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna print off the screenshot of the note and stick it in my kid's lunch. <laughs> People have done that. I'm going to Columbus your artwork. (laughs) And I'm going to tell my children, I made this for
1: you. Cartoon appropriation.
2: Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank
0: you so much, Brent.
3: Thank you.